Thanks for listening to our podcast. This Ram Nation radio episode with Joe Parker is brought to you by Peterson Toyota, your local Toyota dealer serving Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, and Tinmouth for more than 50 years. It's also made possible by Ginger and Baker, our favorite restaurant in all of Fort Collins, as well as the Ram Zone, powered by the CSU Bookstore, the best place to get all of your Ram gear. They sponsor all of our Pick'em and Bracket contests all year long. But let me start with Peterson Toyota, who's been a fantastic Ram Nation partner for years. They are diehard Ram fans and supporters. In fact, just last week for the San Jose State game, they sponsored and gave away 2,000 rally towels shaped like little CSU Ram jerseys. Pretty awesome. I love partnering with fellow CSU-loving organizations, and that's what these guys are. Peterson Toyota has served for the Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, and Tinmouth communities for more than 50 years. If you're in the market for a new vehicle, not only will you find the latest Toyota models, you'll also find a friendly and accommodating staff eager to help you find the one that's right for you. One to keep an eye on is the all-new 2024 Land Cruiser with prices starting in the mid-50,000 range. Explore unfamiliar terrain with remarkable capabilities and legendary reliability. They have a large selection of other Toyotas as well, and certified pre-owned vehicles also. Whatever you're looking for, Peterson has something for you, all at competitive pricing and financing. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please get Peterson Toyota for a shot at your business. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. I am Joel Cannellamessa. We have a power-packed show today, and it's a lengthy one, so apologize in advance. You may have to put this one on 1.5 speed or something to get through it a little quicker, but uh, it's it's a long one because we got a lot to go over, so grab a beverage, settle in. We are going to do a little recap of, oh boy, Tuesday night's loss at San Diego State. Jeez, just one of the most inexplicable halves of basketball you will ever see. Also want to give you a recap of... Uh, Tuesday night or Monday night's Ram recruiting roundup in Denver at the Denver Country Club. That was a fun night. Some tidbits to share there. And then I'll also share a recording from Tuesday when I bring in uh, partner Mike Rowe to give us his recap of a fun trip that he had at the Waste Management Phoenix Open last weekend. And that will lead us into our in-depth interview with former CSU star golfer and PGA Tour Pro Martin Laird that we had on Monday uh, or Tuesday of this. I can't remember the all the days that we recorded this week. But uh, that was a really good conversation, in-depth conversation that I know you guys will enjoy, especially you golfers. And, uh, and so, I hate to do it, but we've got to address the basketball game at Viejas Arena Tuesday night before we do anything else. The Rams played an amazing first half, building a 44-30 to 30 halftime lead. Mostly by shooting lights out, scoring in transition, taking care of the basketball. And they also, of course, benefited from Jaden Ladee's foul trouble. He had to sit a big chunk of that first half due to foul trouble, picking up his second foul early in that game. CSU shot 57% overall in that half, 7 of 13 from three-point range, and outscored San Diego State 16 to 14 in the paint, which is not easy to do with their size and length and physicality. Then coming out of the locker room, and I always text this to a buddy or two of mine, but uh, that you come out of the locker room, especially with a 14-point lead, that you got to love that position because historically, Nico Medved has been a wizard in second halves, making adjustments and doing the things that uh, – pulling the right strings that you need to do to win. 
He certainly did that earlier in the season. Hasn't been necessarily as prominent uh, down the stretch here, but uh, that definitely was not the case on Tuesday against the Aztecs. Uh, San Diego State elevated their defense, completely stymied the Rams, and Ledee turned back into the Mountain West player of the year that he is. Scoring 22 points and four rebounds in the second half alone, he finished with 27 and six. The Aztecs outscored the Rams 44 to 11. You've heard it, you've seen it, and you still look back and it is astonishing that we scored 11 effing points and a half. Just was so ugly, so bad to watch. They just could not, they went long stretches of not being able to make a basket, couldn't hit, uh, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. It was, it was really rough. And I, I tried to look up some numbers here uh, about historical bad performances and halves. It's definitely not the worst that there's been. Uh, Eastern Michigan scored just four points against Rutgers in the first half of a game in 2018. That ties the shot clock era division one record for fewest points and a half with four uh, trailing. Uh, they, they trailed Rutgers 31 to four at the half in that game. But Northern Illinois also shares that uh, futility in a 2013 game against Eastern Michigan. Uh, so not a futile, not the most futile uh, performance that uh, the Rams turned in the other night, but it was very ugly and it was painful to watch, especially because you had a shot there. Uh, you put yourself in a position to win that game and, and just came out with nothing in the second half. Rams turned the 14-point halftime lead into a 71-55 to loss. Uh, just some bullet points here. Kevin Lytle summarized it well, so I don't need to reinvent the wheel here. But in the second half, Rams shot just three of 25, 12%. Overall from the field, one for 11, 9% from three-point range. San Diego State had 12 offensive rebounds, just manhandled the Rams. And that was on 20 shots. <laughs> so they got rebounds on 60% of their misses in the second half. Rams just could not grab a ball off the off the board. So uh, Aztecs outscored CSU 20 to four in the paint. So a complete turnaround uh, just took over the game, forced the Rams into eight turnovers. And it was a total flop, total flop in the second half. You could sense the game slipping away very early in that second half. Ladie had 14 points in the first six minutes. And all that said, as, as it just slowly was just slipping away and you're like, boy, we are in trouble. Even with nine minutes left, the Rams still had the lead. Just over nine minutes left, still had the lead. But then Joel Scott picked up his fourth foul with just under 10 minutes to go. That was kind of the beginning of the end. San Diego State took the lead. Finally, after that, their first lead uh, in since the early part of the game. And you could sense that, uh, or Nico sensed uh, desperation there and, and was forced to put Joel Scott back in the game sooner than he probably wanted to put him back in with just under seven minutes left. And he lasted all of 20 seconds before he picked up his fifth foul. Kind of a BS call. It was a night when the refs were allowing Aztec players to get physical in the paint, back guys down, but not allowing the Ram defenders to hold their ground and play physical in return. And it was really a, a, a complete 180 from the officiating at Moby when the Rams beat San Diego State there. Those officials had allowed the both teams to play very physical and allowed contact, but that was not, uh, it was a little bit one-sided in that regard at Viejas. Compounding the issue down the stretch was that Pat Cartier hurt his foot or his ankle coming down uh, on Ladie's foot really shortly after, 
Joel Scott picked up his fifth foul. So you lose your big man, the other big man, Pat Cartier, and then your third big man, uh, Rashad Bemba, fouled out with 4-11 to go. But really after Joel Scott went out, the game was over. Uh, you knew that the Rams were not going to to stay in the game, much less come back from the deficit that they started to to see there. And, you know, once Bemba went out, it really was a matter of how bad is the score going to get because the Rams had no other big guys left. Nico Medved got a technical for losing his mind on that Bemba foul out. And, uh, you know, at that point, I kind of wondered, why why don't we have Kyle Evans come in? And at least we've we've got one guy, and he's looked looked pretty good last year, right? But uh, he apparently has been out the last two games with a concussion per Kevin Lytle. So did not realize that he was unavailable. I will say... I saw some ad, Aztec fans on social media. I did say even I saw some CSU fans saying it too on the board and, and on social media saying that CSU can't handle San Diego State's physicality. And that's BS. I mean, they did not handle it for the final 20 minutes of the game Saturday, but they did for three out of the four quarters that they faced this team this year. They did match their physicality in when, when San Diego State visited Moby Arena, and they did in the first half on Tuesday night, but uh, the Aztecs just took it to another level in the second half and the Rams did not respond. And and I do think that San Diego State benefited from the refs really allowing them to play physical and CSU not to be able to stand their ground without uh, having fouls called on them. This game is on CSU though, and uh, not, not the refs by any means. Make no mistake, the Rams wilted. I don't think there's any other way to say it. When things got bad, they wilted. I can say that for the first time this year, that when the going got rough, they just kind of, I think quit is a strong word, but they just didn't respond, right? They just didn't have what it took to overcome adversity. And games like this, you you need your stars to step up, and they didn't. And a lot of our losses this year, our stars have not stepped up. But uh, on Tuesday, Isaiah Stevens and Nick Clifford combined for 8 of 12 shooting. And those guys combined for just two free throws in the game. You've got to draw more fouls, get some slow down momentum, get to the line and, and get some, get some points on the board with the clock stopped. And, you know, that, that, that's been a, that's been a, an issue this year is not being able to drive to the hole and, and draw fouls. But I, I think that the loss itself is not surprising the Rams have only won there a few times ever. <laughs> so, uh, and the Aztecs are undefeated at home in league this, this year. But the way you lost the second half really makes you question the makeup of this team. I mean, where were the leaders to quell the nine-minute field goal drought? You're, you're outscored 19-1 to over the final nine minutes? I mean, what? you can't have one guy step up, get a stop, get a bucket, where were the guys to draw the fouls, get to the line, stop momentum? Where were the timeouts from Nico? Uh, you know, when when things got rough and to kind of slow momentum, where were the adjustments defensively? Can you not go zone or double a D, force the Aztecs to beat you from outside, try something different? Where's the clutch play from somebody, anybody? Can anybody make a damn shot? I mean, sometimes when we go cold, man, we go cold. And outside of your two stars, Zay and Neek, not performing last uh, on Tuesday night or in some of our big losses this year, you're also not getting much off the bench. And particularly, you look at Jalen Lake and Joe Palmer, who are getting some of the most minutes off the bench. 
and you're just not getting what you need offensively from either of those guys. Jalen plays good D. He gives you some length on D there. Joe Palmer was able to body up Ladee late when we didn't have any other big men. Game was already over by then. But neither of those guys can hit water if they fell out of a boat on their shots on the road, it seems like. And when they miss, they miss by feet. I mean, it, it's not even, some of these shots aren't even close. And uh, Jalen made one basket early. You're like, okay, that's a good sign. We need him to get going. He finished one for five from the game, one of four from three. Joe Palmer was scoreless again. These guys are playing 20-plus minutes. You need more out of them offensively. And you look at their, their, their splits from home and away. At home, they shoot 36.5% from three. Or not from just from three, just from the field. 36.5% at home from the field. So that I'd say that's not good enough from those guys in general. Then you look at how they perform away from Moby Arena. 26% from the field. From two of your guys that are your two biggest guys, uh, the guys that play the most coming off the bench, you're getting 26% shooting from them. So neither have been great shooting the three this year. In general, Jalen had a couple hot games earlier in, in, in league play and a couple non-conference games, but um, he largely just has not had his stroke this year. And you can tell by if he's rushed at all on a shot, man, it, it's not pretty. He misses badly. He's shooting he's shooting for the year 30% from three. Joel Palmer shooting just 33% on the season individually. And they're ahead of basically only Josiah Strong in three-point percentage for guys who have shot more than 37 free throws in a game. I'm, I'm saying that because Joel Scott has shot 37 per, 37 attempts from the three-point arc, and uh, he's not a guy that you would count as a guy that's in there to, to launch from outside, right? Um, but got, counting guys that are on this team, on the court, and, and relied on for their outside shooting, these guys are only ahead of Josiah Strong, who made – he did make three in the first half on Tuesday, but uh, – he has had a rough season shooting at 27.7%. So those three guys have really had a rough go shooting this year. And that's hurting you. That's hurting you. And then the other thing you, you look at is your star. Some say, I say, probably the best player in CSU history. The, certainly, I think the best guard in CSU history. One of the best guards in the country he's regarded as. But you look at him in... The our league losses, five league losses. He went six of 12 for 15 points against Boise, eight of 16 for Utah State. And those were his two best performances, shooting 50% there. Um, seven of 20 at Wyo, four of 16 at Nevada, four of 13 at San Diego State. And in that stretch, so, so the, by the way, that is 37% shooting from your star player. 29 of 77 from the field. And he has just five made free throws in five losses. Okay, nine attempts total in five games. It just goes to show you, you need more from him. You need more. There's a correlation between him not shooting well and not playing well and our five league losses. And, and only getting to the stripe, only having nine attempts from the stripe in those five games is just unthinkable. It's really astonishing. And then you look at Neek, who's been really good this year, has, has great moments this year. His last four games, he struggled. 
Uh, he was four of eleven against San Diego State. I think he he he, uh, he was three of seven against San Jose State, three of eight against Boise, five of eleven against Fresno. But from the three point arc, he's made just one three in the last four games in twelve attempts, and that was he made one against San Diego State in that first half, or I believe it was first half. Maybe it was the second half. He might have hit the one the one shot in the second half, but. 40% from the field and just one three in the last four games. So I, it, there's things that have to get better if we all want this team to, to finish the season strong and to go into the NCAA tournament and play well. I know we're all pissed. And again, people on this board and on social media go way overboard with some of their comments saying stupid shit like we're an NIT team not deserving of an at-large at bid, that we're a fraud. And that's that's not it, man. Look at the body of the work. It shows that you're better than that. But clearly, you're a little bit of a different team away from Moby Arena, right? And especially in true road games. That Tuesday night showed a major chink in the armor. There is a reason for some concern. And so, so I get that. Um, and unlike in games past when I was pretty down on some of the behavior of our fans. I actually get the irrational comments that were out there uh, since Tuesday night, because what happened on the court Tuesday night, Tuesday night was irrational itself. Just like the meltdown in Laramie was irrational. It was just inexplicable what you watched. And the Rams have gone down a couple of times this year in spectacular fashion. Both of those games, it's something you would rarely see in your life. And we've seen two of those meltdowns this year alone. Um, at the end of the day, though, this is one loss. It was always going to be a tough one to win on the road. You know, but if so, now you look at the big picture. If you want to remain in the league title race, you probably have to go undefeated the rest of the way. And that means and basically that's that's largely because Utah State just won on the road again last night at Wyoming and that was a game that we really needed them to stub their toe on it uh, but you know for us to to win out that means you're winning at UNLV it means you're winning at the pit and then no ifs ands or buts uh you also of course still have to to go undefeated at home against Utah State Nevada and Wyoming but you know Utah State going on the road and, and beating the Cowboys last night makes overcoming them or catching them tough they have it's it's hard to see that them losing three more games, which they would have to do um, for CSU to overtake them or to tie them in the standing. CSU, they, they've got so Utah State has road games left at CSU, Fresno State, and San Jose State. Their tougher games are all at home: San Diego State, Air uh, Air Force, and New Mexico. But they're now nine and three in Mountain West play. They're two games ahead of CSU at seven and five. The Rams need to dominate at home and and be able to win out at home that's steal steal both of those road games if you ask me so a loss at San Diego State again not particularly shocking or damaging overall but because you had that lead and you had a shot it just magnifies how bad that really was Rams dropped from a tie for second down to sixth behind eight and four teams New Mexico after their big win at on the road at Nevada on Tuesday and then behind San Diego State uh, who's also at eight and four. And then you're also actually technically behind Boise and UNLV who are seven and four. So again, bigger picture, Mount West Conference title aside, you got to shake off that second half putrid showing, come back strong and get a win against the league's top team in Utah State Saturday afternoon. That's 
3.30 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. And you really just have to close the season strong, kind of get get to the postseason playing your best basketball, secure the best seed possible. And hopefully Pat Cartier is going to be okay to go. I have not seen word on his condition since recording this. Really would help us Saturday against the number one team in Utah State and definitely need him down the stretch. By the way, Saturday, the team will have their bigger than the game promo. That's the day where they wear the names of Colorado cancer patients on their jerseys instead of their own. It's a very cool thing. It does put all this in proper perspective. So let's get back on track Saturday. Saturday should be a sellout again and should be a raucous, fun crowd. Looking forward to these final couple games at Moby. Okay, coming up, we'll share my recap of the Ram Recruiting Roundup from Monday night at Denver Country Club, then Mike Rowe's personal experience at the Waste Management Phoenix Open last weekend, and finally, our in-depth conversation with Martin Laird. Let me pause real quick and tell you about Ginger and Baker. They have an amazing experience at the cash. You can enjoy fine steaks and chops, good whiskey, or select from their award-winning wine list. Or you can visit the cafe restaurant where Chef Ryan specializes in comfort food done right. Just a few days ago, he unveiled a couple of new dishes to the menu, chicken fried chicken with country gravy, mashers, and fried Brussels, or sloppy joe sliders with house pickles and spicy cheese sauce. Starving just thinking about that. Ginger and Baker also features a coffee shop, market, teaching kitchen, event spaces, and bakery, the latter of which is offering up some new sweet Valentine's Day treats in the pastry case through February 18th. They've got linker cookies, sugar cookies, red velvet cake truffles, and meringue pops, all made from scratch. This place is so amazing, guys. Support our friend Ginger Graham and treat yourself to a world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. All right, before we get to Mike Rowe and his experience at the Waste Management Phoenix Open and then our interview with Martin Laird, just thought I'd give you kind of my recap of the Ram Recruiting Roundup that was at Denver Country Club Monday night. I thought it was a great event, maybe not as big of a crowd as it normally is, but uh, well attended by CSU staff. Of course, uh, Amy Parsons was there. Would you expect anything less? I mean, she's everywhere. Had a great conversation with with her. I'll tell you more about that in a second. Uh, Joe Parker, Chris Ferris, Marcus Palace, uh, who's the new development guy up there, and other members of the athletic department. Then you had Jay Norvell, his entire staff, including recruiting staff. Uh, you had student athletes, Jack Howell, Henry Blackburn, Jacob Gardner, uh, who Green and Gold Guard director John Weber kind of orchestrated them. That was the second year that they've had uh, football student athletes at the event as part of their NIL arrangement. Got to talk to John for a bit, too. There's a lot of NIL was a bit of a heavy topic that night. Um, tell you a little bit more about that as well. But uh, Jenny Kavner was the MC. And she is great as always, just uh, just a great, great gal to talk to and a great person and a great ambassador for CSU. She did not lead any, in case you missed it, she is just recently uh, today or uh, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, announced as the play-by-play -play announcer for the Oakland A's. First ever full-time female major league play-by-play -play announcer. So congrats to her, but she did not lead on to anything about her getting that role kept it a secret and uh, she's a powerhouse uh, just a couple years ago. She had easily coaxed me out of about $900 for an autographed uh, team basketball during the live auction at that same event. Um, who can say no when Jenny's uh, kind of getting into you there. So um, 
she also announced that Amy Parsons had just hired her to become the executive in residence uh, to the president. And I don't know why she would say that publicly when she knew she had she had to have known uh, that she had already got the A's job. So I'm guessing this role at CSU is something that she can do in the offseason or in addition to her duties with the Oakland A's. Uh, but anyway, it will be awesome to see Jenny uh, in an official capacity with CSU. So um, really cool. Talk to Amy about it. And, it, she, you know, she said that's one of her most important components of her job is and something that she prides herself in in is uh, hiring the right people for specific roles. And uh, she really loved this hire of Jenny Kavanaugh. And I can't disagree. So if you can get a, a gal like that involved with CSU, that's that's a home run. So uh, some other comments from Amy as I talked to her one on one beforehand. Um, she had said she absolutely has to get football going on her watch, uh, something she's committed to. She seemed really, truly tortured that football has underachieved, and uh, especially this past season, particularly the loss to CU. She seems optimistic that we'll see football perform better starting this year, uh, but she did acknowledge that, uh, you know, the fact that they're have been many classes of students that have come and gone through CSU without seeing any football success. So she said she's doing everything she can to resource the football program, give it what it needs to succeed. Uh, Jay Norvell reinforced that when he spoke up on stage. Uh, also kind of interesting, there's no details on this yet, but uh, apparently there's going to be a couple games next year, football games worth a, an accompanying concert. Uh, so um, really making game days and events is a priority for Amy. I love, I love that. So uh, in talking basketball with her, she said she's enjoying the ride. Uh, she says she really is loving the community support, the fans showing up at Moby. She brought up unprovoked by the way, though, <laughs> that she needs to do everything in her power to keep Nico Medved as our head coach. I did mention the West Virginia job opening and she acknowledged that yeah she knows nico's wife erica is from there but she kind of didn't think it was the most appealing job to nico although she did say schools like that can throw a lot of money at a coach and it's gonna be hard to turn down but she said she's doing and she will do everything in her power to to keep nico here at csu uh the three student athletes again jack Hal, henry blackburn and jacob gardner were really well-spoken in their uh, 10 minutes on the stage, talked about the bond that they've created over the years uh, together and uh, really shared their frustration it, that they did not deliver the wins that uh, we all wanted. And especially against the rivals, uh, Jack said it, it made him sick to lose to Wyoming said it's his biggest priority this year to, to beat them. Uh, they're also excited to host CU at canvas uh, there may or may not have been a couple of guarantees <laughs> off the cuff by uh, our student athletes and Jay Norvell for certain wins this year, uh, obviously playing up to the crowd. Uh, Henry said uh, it's been dram dramatically noticeable how many more of the of his teammates are invested and care about winning on this team. And, and Jack kind of noted, he told a story about uh, the other day they were doing some workouts some sprints or something. And a true freshman had called Jack out for false starting on one. And Jack at first was like, who does this kid think he is? And 
he then recalled, you know, when he was a freshman, that if he saw something like that, he would notice it, but maybe not say anything. So he was impressed that a freshman was comfortable enough to hold a teammate, much less a team captain, accountable. And uh, said so that's kind of just an example of the culture being built where his teammates, his team, they're not settling, but they're keeping each other accountable and uh, want perfection. So um, did uh, talk to a couple people about uh, Oxley no longer on the roster. Marshawn Oxley, that's a, that's a painful loss on the defensive line. Uh, but I, unfortunately, I think it was ultimately grades, I think, that did him in. So that's unfortunate. But uh, as they talked about the recruits, they, they did kind of start off highlighting a couple legacy signees, Dagan Myers and Jack Moran, uh, sons of Greg Myers and Sean Moran. Great to have uh, the sons of two really great former CSU football players on the roster this year. Uh, then, then they kind of went through some video. They brought up each position coach and each one of them kind of talked about one or two players and they showed a couple highlight videos, but based on who they talked about most and uh, then showed videos of, I think kind of the marquee players that you can count on in this class are quarterback Darius Curry. Uh, Coach Matt Mummy is super excited about him. Uh, said he's a super humble guy, but also a great leader. Uh, some a guy that uh, his teammates will rally around. Also an exceptional quarterback, threw for 6,600 passing yards in his two years in high school, 79 passing touchdowns over those two years, and nine rushing TDs. Uh, so he's got great leadership qualities, great accuracy. I think he said he threw 68% or completed 68% of his passes in high school. said he's also dynamite when he runs the ball, so uh, just a guy who can make explosive plays. So kind of exciting. I'm excited to see this kid. Uh, a little bit undersized, but they in the you know they've got their their metrics that they like to to hold true to when they recruit a quarterback. But so there's sometimes exceptions when you got a guy like this. So very curious and and excited to see Darius Curry, and then of course Jordan Ross. Everyone's pretty aware of him. So they had to fight to keep him on board all the way to the wire. Uh, said that Jay scheduled in in the last uh, <laughs> down the wire uh, of uh, of signing day. So that Coach Norvell scheduled the last possible time slot to visit uh, Jordan so that nobody could come in after him and swoop in and kind of sway him at that last second. But uh, he's a kid who led the state of California in wide receiver yards, can play inside and outside. Also punt returner, kick returner. So he's going to be a major component of the offense. Also running back Jalen Dupree, the top running back in Arkansas. They also highlighted a defensive back Chance Harrison, He's a guy who they got uh, to flip from U of A, Arizona, and they showed some highlights of him. He's uh, not the biggest guy right now. Apparently, he's put on some size since uh, since his highlights, but um, flies around and hits hard. Uh, so so they seemed really high on him. Offensive lineman Philip Ocon, uh, he is a beast. He looks mean and absolutely pancaked, guys. And uh, Coach Bill Best had said uh, he played every snap every game in high school, both ways, offense line, defensive line, except for uh, on kickoff teams. So that's a guy that's just uh, going to be uh, someone to watch as a, a key offensive lineman here uh, in the next couple of years. And then the the most recent signee that signed on actual February signing day uh, was linebacker Owen Long. And he played 
both linebacker and safety in high school. He's super smart, over 4.0 GPA, but another guy that they said can run and hit. And his high school coach called him the best player that's ever attended that school. So uh, that was cool. You got our new uh, defensive line coach, Chuka. He's Buddha Williams' replacement. Uh, young guy, lots of energy, just kind of talking to him afterwards. And he was talking to a group of people. I loved hearing him talk about uh, he was a, a coach at New Mexico State, and uh, he was a defensive line coach there. And uh, they had a huge win this season over Auburn, this past season over Auburn, went into Auburn and, and beat them pretty handily. But he said going into that game and how they studied film and looked at the matchups they they had, they said, oh, I mean, we fully match up with these guys. And we went in there expecting to win. And not only did they win, but they really controlled that game at an SEC opponent with all that tradition and a huge disparity in resources and, and facilities. So uh, that was cool to hear and uh, happy to have him. Also got to talk with Coach Savage a little bit. Said he'd love to come back, come back on our podcast anytime, but uh, he's always a, a great conversation to talk to. Jordan Simmons, who's the strength and conditioning coach, got up on stage, talked a little bit about the physical training aspect of the game. Pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, on what the team is doing to get in shape, get stronger, bigger, uh, military training exercises that they're doing. So uh, I think they're in great, great hands with him. And I know that Jay Norvell thinks he, that's a key component of that coaching staff. Uh, Jay Norvell also told a story of how Jerry Glanville, uh, the former head coach of the Houston Oilers and Atlanta Falcons, reached out to him. It's, this is someone that he, Jay has never met before in his life. He reached out to him after the CU game, just called Jay out of the blue. Actually, uh, Kim Norvell, I answered the phone and and she goes up to Jay and says, hey, I got a guy named Jerry Glanville that wants to speak to you. And he's like, Jerry Glanville. And uh, so anyway, Jerry just called to talk about how impressed he was with how the team flew around and and hit against the Buffs. It was the night of the the tough heartbreak loss to the Buffs. Uh, but just wanted to talk to Jay and tell him what a great job he thought his team did. Said he loved the style of football that the Rams played that night. And since that call, and I, Jay's, Jay's told that story before, but he said since that call, Jay and Jerry have talked three times a week. And this is a guy who's 82 years old, still loves football. He's still coaching and has coached in high school, um, coached in Canada, and he was just named the defensive coordinator at the 80, age of 82 at Northwestern Oklahoma State. So uh, what's interesting kind of about this is that Jerry Glanville coached Deion Sanders in Atlanta. So uh, just that kind of an interesting dynamic, what what made him call Jay Norvell after Jay had a tough loss to uh, one of his former, to one of Glanville's former uh, players, star players. So anyway, interesting. But uh, Jay had said he you know i they're they're already back in their workouts said he addressed his team and and said that you know he talked to them and reminded them hey look we played seven games this past season that came down to a touchdown or less and four games came down to the final play and basically the difference in those games he said is the team has to get better in conditioning uh to be able to continue to go strong go full bore when the game is on the line and not uh, have a deterioration in your, your quality of play there. And you also have to know what to do and have the confidence to do it well when the game is on the line. And he said, that's all done through preparation. So he basically said there's three things that he wants his team to focus on this off season and going into the fall. And that's one, number one, have a no excuse mentality. 
Number two, have a tight bond, know each other, love each other, trust each other, play together. And number three, to be a team that plays to win and to attack and not play to lose. And so, I mean, I think the microcosm of that was the CU game itself last year when you attacked, you attacked, you played to win. That entire game, right, that entire game, and for the final two minutes, you played not to lose, and it cost you dearly. So uh, that's what he's tried to instill in the, into the team this year, and, and hopefully we see those dividends. A uh, couple other things. Jay also talked about um, how a booster of a Big 12 school called Braden Fowler Nicolosi directly uh, this offseason. You've all heard this story, but basically said, you know, we are losing our quarterback and we need a quarterback and we'd like you to enter the portal. And if you do, we've got 600 grand for you to come to our school. So um, that kind of led Jay into talking about the importance of the green and gold guard and said, look, we did lose a few guys, couple couple guys that they didn't want to lose. Uh, but they were able to keep the core together and they were able to get guys like Tory Horton, Henry Blackburn, Jack Howell, Jacob Gardner and others, Justice Ross Simmons to stay. And he said that the green and gold guard helps make that possible. He thanked the people in attendance who have been involved and are making a difference there. He urged other people who have not yet uh, jumped into that to, to help even at smaller amounts because um, everything helps and they really need it. Uh, you could get, you really get the sense of, you know, talking to these coaches, what, how, how this new era of NIL and of transfers and all these new rules are just making their lives not fun anymore. And it makes you wonder why uh, they still coach. I mean, I, I saw a tweet or something uh, uh, related to a comment that Mike Loxley, the head coach at Maryland said, uh, just the other day and said, basically, you look at all these changes and he's wondering why the heck am I still doing this? And he was actually talking to a um, a radio show and he basically said, do you guys have any openings for me there? Because he's about all he's had about all he can take with the uh, with these N NCAA rules these days. Apparently he had a a third string running back who was demanding a hundred thousand dollars to stay. And he's like this. I've had it. So. Uh, and that's what all these coaches are going through. And you could see it. You can hear it in their voice. It's uh, it's tough. Hopefully the NCAA will get control of some of this stuff because it's out. Of, it's 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 not great. But anyway, thought you would enjoy some of that recap. All right. Happy to bring in my brother, Michael Rowe, fresh off of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. Went so hard this past weekend that uh, he could not join me last night for the Ram Recruiting Roundup at Denver Country Club, an event that we look forward to all year. And he bought yeah. a ticket and just chose not to go. There was a lot of people asking me where you were, but uh, you shot your shot and, and overdid it a little bit. I, uh, I I wanted to make a donation to uh, the football program. So. <laughs> well, that you did. Are you recovered yet from that trip? Uh, man, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still a bit tired. Um, I think a lot of it is a lack of sleep, um, but we put in our work. We put in our work over over a nice four day period um, in in Arizona. Well, how was the experience this year? Um, for for tell people what it's like to go to this event. 
Um, it's obviously, if, if you're not as familiar with golf, professional golf, this is like the anti PGA event. Like it's party central music, people drinking, people cheering, people booing, just raucous. Uh, so it's not like your normal golf event, but, uh, it looks awesome. I have never been myself. And so I love getting Mike's stories every year because he's gone uh, how many years now? Six in a row. So yeah, I've been, I've been going every year since 2018, not counting the COVID, uh, 21, 2021, uh, tournament, but yeah, I've been, uh, me and one buddy, we've gone every year since 18 and the last three years, uh, a good buddy Bart has joined us. Uh, the last two years, Naramska, Riley's been there too. Um, and it, it is completely different. I, you know, I've gone to some some other events, whether it's the U.S. Amateurs at Cherry Hills, uh, the old International, which people got after it at the International back in the day at Castle Pines. But I believe you and I did. Yeah, you and I and, and Mike LaPlante. Uh, <laughs> that was a good hookup. That's right there. But, uh, it's it's completely it's completely different than than all the other PGA events. It used to be Saturday was college day, so any college student with an ID got in free. Not sure if they still do that, but it's it is now tradition. Like all of ASU, all of U of A, UN, uh, UNA. Um, I mean, saw a lot of kids from CSU, a lot of kids from CU. Uh, that were there representing on on Saturday and and so it's always been billed as as you know the largest party on grass and you know over the last few years it has just been almost turning into a life of its own where I mean if you look back at Tiger Woods' ace on 16 it was just fans standing around the green now it's a full stadium. Uh, it fits 6,000 6, fans just on hole 16. And that's the party. That's the party hole. But but now there's grandstands along 17, all surrounding 18. There's now grandstands on 12. So it's, it's I mean, it, it's a lot different than what you see if, if you if you follow the PGA and you watch all the other events. I mean, it's it really is geared towards the party atmosphere and, and hole 16 is just, it's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole nother animal. I thought that this stadium held like 16,000. You said six. Oh yeah. 16,000. Sorry. Six, yes. Yes. 16,000. So it's, it's like a minor league ballpark. That's awesome. Um, surrounding a, a hole that's about a hundred to get up to the what, 160 yards. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it's, I mean, the suite levels are are four levels high now, um, and it's 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 the one that it, when you're watching it, people get there about three four o'clock in the morning. Gates open at six, and they are sprinting across the course trying to get onto sixteen and and be the first ones on there. And even people talking to some people who got there at five a.m., they still waited three hours before they could get into. Uh, get into the general mission on 16. Well, I know you're not sprinting. So how do you always get a good spot at 16? Uh, so 
again, micro doing micro things. <laughs> uh, it's it's who you know. It's who you know. And so uh been very blessed, very fortunate to uh, have made some friends out there. And, you know, every year, you know, every year since 2020, we have been able to get on 16 and our wait times about 10 minutes uh, for what, for when we arrive. So wow. it's, it's, it's fun. If you could ever experience it do, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, everything that you can imagine that you could see, you see it, especially on 16. Um, and all the reels that you see, all the uh, videos you see that that's going on everywhere. My first, my first time in, in 2018, we went on Friday. We we flew in from Denver early Friday morning. We get we get to the course about 10 a.m. and and we go and and the entrance is by 18. So you walk by 18 and and then you uh, there's the fan fan fest. My buddy and I, we I mean we first time we really don't know what's going on and we grab we grab a beer. And we start walking up to 11 and we're at the tee box at 11. There's this small little hill and there was a, um, I'll just say a curvy college girl. This is 10 AM on a Friday. Who's kind of walking in front of me. And then she just goes straight down out cold, passed out at 10 AM, passed out walking at 10 AM. So, I mean, we have seen old men, guys in their 70s, 80s that are passed out because they're so hammered, just laying on the ground, almost saw a bro fight over some 80-year-old that was passed out. This would have been in 2019. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what you see see on those videos, that's it. I mean, that is the, the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So I've seen a couple of social posts and, and chatted with you about it, but um seemed like the experience got a little bit even more over the top this year than in years past. Uh, I think you said Saturday is just a total shit show and, and you're kind of almost tiring of, of the weekend, at least, you know, the Thursday and Friday are the times to go. What, what, what happens? Well, you know, the first few years, always we, you know, 18, 19, 20, we went on Saturday, great time. Well, they stopped doing attendance figures in 19, which meant it was kind of a free, it's been kind of a free for all since then. And again, with college kids, I mean, they can just get in and they do. And then it just, and it fills up. And now with, with all the, the grandstands around all the holes, Whereas an open layout, now everything's kind of just getting compacted. And it has just, it is just turned into, you can't move, you can't go anywhere. You're in line for 30, 45 minutes to get drinks. And it's, it's, it's impossible to move around. If you, if you're one of those fans that really want to follow a group, you know, Martin Laird's teeing off at, at, you know, nine fifteen. You're going to follow them. It's going to be almost impossible to get through it. You'll be able to get to a few holes, but it's 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 just it's come to that point on Saturdays where it really is 
not a golf tournament anymore. It is just a straight party. And, uh, you know, it, it got really crazy in 22. We didn't go last year because of the Super Bowl. We left and we came back. Uh, we came back to Denver on that Saturday. Didn't even try to go out there. Decided to make a run for it this year. And, and it took us about an hour to, to just walk from the main gate to get through FanFest, which should take you 10, 15 minutes. What about the um, the the weather was kind of crappy, which sucks this year. Tell me about Thursday and f- Friday. So it it has been raining all week. Wednesday's pro am got uh, just got canceled because because of the rain. We went pretty early on on Thursday because there's going to be about a three hour window where it was, wasn't supposed to rain. It's drizzling the whole time. Um, but that first round of that first group of players, they were able to get their rounds through. And so we were just in the, uh, in the drizzle. We had our, our ponchos, everything was kind of fine. And then just a huge rainstorm downpour for about three hours, delayed everything. Uh, you know, we were fortunate enough. Our, our, our hookup out there, let us into let us into her tent. So we were dry. We had our, our beverages at uh, all the beverages at our disposal and any hot dog that we wanted to eat. We took advantage of, the, of that. And so we, we were hanging out. We were staying dry. And then once it cleared up, it was awesome. It was gorgeous Thursday afternoon. But then, then you're fighting the, fighting the sun. But because of all that, on Friday, it was cold. There was frost on the course, so it delayed everything. So everybody that was supposed to finish the round on Thursday, they got delayed even more on Friday. Then that pushed round two back. Round two didn't get a finish. So that moved to uh, Saturday. Same thing. Frost got delayed back. Round two ended up finishing late. Round three. And I think that's the big reason why Saturday was such a shit show. Because everything kept on getting pushed back, but they kept letting the fans come in at six o'clock in the morning. And you just have a large group that are just smashing, doing nothing, just standing there. Yeah, things are gonna things are gonna start turning. <laughs> well, and you saw our guy that's uh Martin coming up here in a few minutes that we're gonna have on. Uh you saw him drill a a lengthy putt there on 16 in that opener, that opening round. Uh, oh, it, it was awesome. It was awesome. I was wondering, I mean, so the tradition on 16 is, is it's a poor, uh, short par three. If they don't get on the green, I mean, they just let them have it. The fans just, and they're on, they're on top of you and they just let you have it. I mean, boo, it, it's, and it gets loud, but it, what if you, even if you get on, if you miss any putt, doesn't matter if it's, you know, you lip out from a foot away, or if you have a 65-foot putt and you put it within about 12 inches, you're getting booed. If you don't, if you don't make a putt, you're getting booed, and it gets loud. And, and Martin, you know, his 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 tee shot or his shot, he put it about 40 feet from the pin, and he was he was it was deep, and everybody's just waiting to boo him, and he just drops it and. It was awesome. 
huge crowd. And again, when, when you make the putt, everyone cheers for it. And there might have been a CSU chant that got started <laughs> on uh, on Thursday when when he dropped that in. But yeah, it was good to see him. Usually, again, usually get to see a lot more, but with with all the delays and and they were doing staggered starts, it, it was hard. It was really hard to follow with anybody uh, this weekend. Well, I know uh, I know you were a little sour on some of the stuff that you saw. Isn't that shocking? You you of all people souring on people going overboard with drunken antics, but uh, still should be on people's bucket list, right? This is a it's oh, something yeah. you got to go experience for, for sure. And and it it was one of those hey, nothing wrong with getting really drunk, nothing wrong with partying. Um, Just but, don't do do a handstand in the. Uh, a head dive into the same track right. and do snow angels. Right. But when when you do it too much and they cut off beer sales and I can't drink anymore, then yes, that's a problem. Then that's a problem. Uh, that's when the, so I, I, that happened and it, I had just missed it. I went down uh, to use the restroom and I missed it from the time I went down there and came back. It happened. It would have happened directly in front of where we were at on 16 and, you know, missed it. But, I mean, all those videos, we were we were watching that anywhere we went. It, it was just, it was so muddy. And again, with all the grandstands, everyone was just kind of just pushed together. And, and everything around any of the walkways was just total mud. And with all the hills, I mean, people were loving it. They were, they were going, they were going sledding, you know, they were, I mean, <laughs> belly flops and, and you would, you would see all these, these, college girls the big thing is dressing in all white with with white white high tops on white nikes and they're just walking and all of a sudden feet go out from underneath them and they are just nothing but covered in mud dudes dude drunk dudes trying to climb up a hill or trying to climb down so that they could get a spot to watch and falling and trying to get back up and falling again and then just rolling over. It was, I mean, it was pretty comical. Uh, but then at one point it, it, it got past the, the funny part to where it was like, man, someone's going to get hurt. And on Friday, somebody did, someone fell off out of one of the suites on 16 on the back side of it. And, uh, last I, last I had seen, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a life-threatening. It wasn't life-threatening in, injuries, but they were they were hospitalized for it. So, again, it, it's you got to have fun, but at some point, you know, you gotta you gotta rein it in, and you you know, you just gotta be smart. And and that that was not in abundance on Saturday. Well, good stuff, man. Thanks for sharing all that, and uh, definitely something that uh, people need to to get to once in their lifetime. So uh, very excited now to invite in our guest. All right, excited to bring in our guest today, uh, Martin Laird, former CSU golf star, 16 years on the PGA Tour. He's won four PGA Tour events in his career. Uh, most recently, the Shriners uh, for the Children's Open in 2020, born in Glasgow, Scotland at the age 
and uh, at the age of 17, moved to the U.S. to take a golf scholarship at CSU under then head coach Jamie Bermel. Played four years for the Rams, 2000 to 2004. He won four individual titles in college, including the Mountain West Men's Golf Championship in 2002. Um, I, I remember that, too. We were younger pups back then, Mike. But uh, I believe you re reside in, in Denver here, right? Do you still do yeah. you have Cherry Hills now? Not, you yeah, know, moved, uh, moved back up to Denver, uh, like started 2020. So about... Okay, great. Great. Yeah. Well, uh, fresh off playing in the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which Mike just kind of shared his uh, experiences about uh, a few minutes ago. You finished four under there. Really appreciate you taking your time out to join us and, and uh, excited to, to catch up with you a little bit. Yeah, so, just uh, like you said, I got back from, uh, it was nice to get home after being in Phoenix last week and uh, yeah, a little, little chill time after that chaos. <laughs> How was your week? How was your week there? I was okay. I, uh, you know, very uh, unusual week for that tournament. The weather was was terrible for down there. Cold. I mean, really cold. Uh, wet. Just not not very nice all week uh, until Sunday. It was finally you know somewhat decent. But yeah, I mean, the cold didn't turn away the fans. It was it was chaotic. And then you add in all the mud and slop outside the ropes to record numbers of fans. It was it was it's always interesting it's always fun playing that tournament you know i enjoy it i mean it's one week a year so it's fun if that was every week it would maybe get a little old but uh it's, it's good fun for a week and uh you know i played well at that tournament in the past i like it i like the course so yeah i played okay i got off to a good start and then and then kind of didn't play as good as i wanted on the weekend so apart from that it was uh it was pretty good so you you this is mike by the way he's hey. great to meet you great to finally have you on here um so you had an early tee time on Thursday. Uh, you were able to get your round in, play through a slight drizzle throughout that. Uh, what was it like playing in those rainy conditions? And, and when you're doing that, what changes to your game do you make? Yeah, it's, uh, that Thursday morning was not nice. Like you said, it was kind of drizzly rain. It was cold, probably low mid-40s. And, and it was pretty breezy, uh, especially in the back nine. It started really blowing, so... You know, in terms of the changes, that course is normally a, a shootout. It's normally in such good shape and the weather's perfect that, you know, you have to kind of go low to, to you know, stay in contention there. But on Thursday, it was so hard. I mean, I, I shot a couple under in the morning, played really nicely, and I think I was in fifth uh, after the morning wave. So that just shows normally two under run there, you're in about 35th or 40th. I mean, it, it normally doesn't doesn't look that good. But, uh, so, you know, that's just one of those days where you know the ball's going a lot shorter. You've got more layers on the the, the weather's kind of not not uh, as nice as it is normally down there. And then you know, like I said, pars. My caddy and I just kept saying, you know, par in every hole's good right now. Like you, you can't get frustrated making par when the conditions are like that. Normally in that course, if you make seven pars in a row, you're getting a little frustrated because everyone's passing you. But but not on Thursday. But uh, yeah, that's the same. It's kind of a weird tournament, weird week early because of that. And uh, yeah, played hard the first few days. The, the course played really long, and as I said, it was pretty cold. Yeah, I know. On 17, I've watched you in the past where where you're driving green, and we weren't seeing that from anybody on, on Thursday. No, I mean, there's yeah, you can normally drive the green there, and there's a bunker about 60 yards, 50 yards short of the green that we couldn't even get over the first round. I mean, it, a bunker we normally fly by 20, 30 yards, we, we were, I actually hit it in it. I mean, it was, you had to try and just miss, and I hit it in it, and yeah, it was playing totally different, uh, for sure. So yeah, and then then obviously just being so wet, the ball's not rolling, and and all that kind of stuff. But 
it was still I was happy after Thursday, like you said, the weather was was not great. So with the huge downpour in that afternoon, pushed round one into in the Friday, then you had frost that pushed round two back. Um, so you had a later start on 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 Friday that pushed into Saturday, which again more frost got delayed. How was that trying to fin up finish up your round on Saturday morning and then just a couple hours rest coming back for round three? Yeah, I teed off. My tee time on Friday for my second round was 5 p.m., which, you know, it gets dark at 6. I played, uh, I think, I can't remember. I think I got to, like, the, I played, played like, five holes. Uh, and then they blew the horn for, for darkness and then back out, like you said, 7.30 restart in the morning. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, it's it's quick turnaround and then finish that round and then have a little break before, before we started – you know, round three, which then was going to run over into Sunday round four. And yeah, it was just, you know, every day. And the thing is, you don't know there's going to be a frost delay. So you can't, you can't stay in bed expecting a frost delay and then miss your tea time. So you got to be there. You know, I normally get there just over two hours before my tea time. So, you know, we're getting there at half past five in the morning and, and, you know, end up sitting around for a while or an hour and a half of frost delays, but long days, you know, at the course from 5.30 till 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. But you know, it's part of the deal. It's, it's it's still still worse places I could be hanging out. So uh, long days, but but still good fun. Well, uh, Mike Mike got to witness this because he sat at sixteen pretty much the whole tournament. <laughs> but uh, he saw you drain your thirty six footer uh, in that opening round, got the crowd going. How was that? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, you know, Thursday I hadn't really made many putts, and I, I like you said I hit it on there. And you know that hole's just it's such a fun hole to play, just just because. You know, it's like our as a golfer, it's our only real chance anywhere to feel like what is you know performing in a stadium. I mean, it's it literally is like stadium hole, and uh, and you know, it's even when you have that putt. You know, I'm not gonna lie, you're, you're over it looking at it, and you're like, you're back of your mind, you're you're thinking, man, it would be fun to make this one, and then uh, you know, to make it about halfway there, I knew it was looking pretty good and to make it in front of that crowd. It's it's always fun. I mean, they. They'll boo you for your approach shot, and then when you pull off that, they they're all all cheering. So it's it's good fun. Like I said, it's it's the only place, it's the loudest place we play all year, and and uh, you know any player that says they don't don't get a high from uh, birdie in that hole and getting the cheers lined to you. Yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, you, you, it was going to be my next question, but you answered everything. Like, <laughs> like when you step up, when you step up at the tee box. When all you can think of is I got to put it on the green, or I'm I'm gonna hear it, or when you step over that putt, I got to make it, or I'm gonna hear it. Yeah, I mean, the first few years I played, it definitely uh, you get I get a little nervous and worry about oh man they're gonna boo me, and then then after a few years of playing, I mean I played that tournament probably I don't know 14, 15 times, and after after about five years, you realize that they're also drunk five minutes after you leave, and don't, they don't even remember you were there anyway, so it doesn't really matter, but. Uh, so you kind of, I kind of don't get nervous anymore, but still, you know, it's not the tee shot, but especially if you're like a three, four foot pop, you don't want to miss out on that green. They're, they're going to, they're going to be all over you for that one. You never want to miss those, but you really don't want to miss a short one on that green because they're, you're not going to hear the end of it. So, uh, as I said, it's our, it's like our only chance all year we really get to play what feels like kind of a, inside a stadium. And, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we enjoy it. We get, we, we get to experience a little bit of the high that other sports get when, you know, they make a shot in basketball or, or whatever inside an arena and, and it's, it's cool.
so you you have played it since every year since 2010 uh I've I've been going to it since 2018. Me and a, a good buddy go out there, and I've seen it grow just over the last six years. Yeah, it grow in a lot of ways, good and bad. Um, since you've been on it, what are some of the uh, changes you've seen over the last decade and a half? Yeah, you know, I think you're right. Like it, it definitely grew my first like five, six years, and then it got to one point where it was. And one year I played in the final group Saturday, Sunday, and it was out of control. And I believe the tour actually like kind of tried to control it a little bit. They increased the police presence. They had, you know, people walking with every group and they try to, they try to control a little bit. And that seemed to help for about four or five years. And then, like you said, the last five years, I mean, it seems like every holders new hospitality or, you know, it's kind of like some of the, some of the big, you know, two, three story tents behind greens are like nightclubs. You're on the green and it's like dance music playing in the, in the hospitality behind the green. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed the last few years. They're, they're really trying to maximize, you know, obviously all the people that can squeeze in and all the money they can get for hospitality. And it's, I mean, it's fun. It, it is fun. But this year, this year was probably the first year in a while. I was like, Ooh, it maybe got a little over the top. It was, especially when we're out there till dark and, uh, you know, it just extends the day for everyone. You know, there's like a two, three hour spell where a lot of those people didn't see any golfers because they're waiting for the regroup and coming out. So like I was saying, my caddy, what do you think those people are doing for two or three hours? They're just <laughs> standing, drinking even more. So when you do get back out, not only have they not seen golfers for a few hours, they're all have had about eight more drinks. So it was, uh, this year was, this year was interesting at times. Yeah. I mean, it's been in the news a lot. Zach Johnson said he's, Probably not going to play, but then he said, you know, I'm just needed right now, so we'll see. Billy Horschel got into it with, with a fan who was talking in whoever in his groups, someone in yeah. his group, backswing. Spieth wasn't very happy with it. Did any of that happen with you and or any of your group? I mean, I think it happens to every group. It's just, you know, you kind of got to expect it. You know, there's a couple of times where I had to back off shots. And then the, the, the constant noise is okay. It's when you have guys standing, you know, on the rope 10, 12 feet from you. And just as you're about to hit, they like scream something, you know, and a couple of times back off, my caddy would say to them like, Hey, come on, like have a good time, but you know, come on. And, and to be honest, like when you actually call those, call them out, most of the time they get a little embarrassed and they quiet and done. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like 16, 17, they're kind of farther back, and you just you just know they're not going to stop. But it's it's honestly the other holes are kind of the worst because the fans can get right next to you, and and some of them will just shout right at the top of your backswing. I mean, they don't care. They're not there for the golf. A lot of them, they're just there to have a party. So, you know, it is what it is. You got to expect it going in. But as I said, it's it's good fun. But this year maybe just just went over the top just a little bit. Sorry, I won't yell "Go Rams" next time when you're uh, <laughs> when you're stepping over the ball. There's a, there's a lot of go-round shouts. I mean, people always say, hey, if you hear a go-round shout, it's, it's me or whatever. And then I'm like, yeah, but I, I hear that like 30 times a day because there's there's a lot of Ram fans out there that, that obviously follow golf. So it's it's good. So it's here to, good to hear. Did you hear that CSU chant going on, on 16 when you drained that putt? I, I did not hear that, no. You was focused. You were focused. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, were, you, you were dialed in. Yeah, dialed in. <laughs> Hey, so in between your, your Shriners win in 2020, um, you know, you'd also won that in 2009, your second year on tour, but I think you went seven years in between wins. Did that drought weigh on you at all? I know, I, I think I read something that, 
you know, you ended up having your, your family, you start raising your, your kids during that stretch there, obviously take some, some, uh, some priorities in a different direction, yeah. but what was it like to, to win again? And, and what was that drought like? Yeah. I mean, winning again was awesome. It was in a way, my, my favorite and most special win, just because it had been so long and it was my first win with kids and you know they weren't there but you know to talk to them when i finished and then i flew home that next day and you know to see them that next day and then when the trophy arrived a couple days later to like get it out of the box and they were i mean they were beside themselves and it just made it even more special and and yeah that one that one in a way was my favorite just because of that um and i just had knee surgery like would have been uh june that year uh so you know i was about five five months off of knee surgery so you know, to come back and, and, and win that quickly was, was really, really special. And, you know, obviously Shriners uh, tournament in Las Vegas is, is one of my favorites, won a couple of times and, and lost in the playoff another time. So if there's ever a tournament where I feel like I can, I can get that win, that, that was, that was the course. And, you know, another cool story is the guy that caddy for me that week was one of my good friends and my regular caddy uh, was having a baby. So he'd had a few weeks off. And I had a friend of mine who lived in Arizona drive over and caddy for me, a guy I'd been friends with for a long time. And that was his first ever time caddying for me and we got the win. So not only on top of having my kids to celebrate with, I had one of my best friends on the bag. So, you know, that night, uh, you know, after, and, and we just went out for a real nice dinner and kind of went over the week and, and had a few drinks. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, that added another special, special moment to it. But, but yeah, the drought, the drought was, uh, you know, seven years, it, you know, I had a few chances in there, but, you know, like you said, I had, you know, my two probably worst years on tour were, were 2014 and 16 and just happened to be there with the years my kids were born. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, two of the best years of my life, but, but, you know, in terms of my golf, weren't the best, but that's, you know, obviously priorities changed those years and, and, and a lot less sleep. So, uh, it was, uh, you know, the drive didn't seem, seem that bad, uh, but I had a few years in there where I struggled and, and you always do wonder, I always thought I could win again, but you, until you do it, you, you never really, you believe you can, but until you get it done, you never really know. And, and, you know, to get that win was, was pretty cool. Happens to the best of us, bud. Uh, <laughs> even us amateur golfers, those kids always get in the way of our, our golf development. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you, you've never played in the Ryder cup. I, I, I know that part of that is because you, you never joined the European tour and, yeah, to, to play for the European team, you have to do that, right? So is that not an aspiration you ever had? Just wanted to spend more time with family and not be over there as much? Yeah, I mean, it was an aspiration. I, I kind of joined as an affiliate member a couple of years onto the European tour to try and make the team they could, because if, if I played well enough and you're an affiliate member, they could you could still get a pick or sneak in off like the world points, but you had to play unbelievable to make that happen. Um, but yeah, you know, it was obviously always something I would love to do, but, you know, it's a big commitment to say, hey, I'm going to split time between the PJ Tour and the European Tour. You know, you have to play way more events in a year. You have to be traveling. And the thing is, the DP World Tour that's called now, it's not just in Europe, it's all over the world. So, you you know, I would have spent a year and a half flying all over the world, a lot less off weeks, and you're still not guaranteed to make the team. And, you know, it's it's, it's not like you just play decent and you make the team. you got to play incredible to make that team. And, and I never really felt like it was the the extra travel extra work and and all you know all it would take was was something i was going to do for just the chance um 
you know, I've always loved playing over here. And, and I felt like in 2000 and, you know, the 2011, 2012 spell, you know, I had a chance to make that team. Um, if I played better this, the second half of the year and I, I just, I struggled. Um, and, and, you know, that was kind of my one chance. I reckon if I would played really well, second half of 2012, I probably would have had a look in, um, but it didn't happen. And, you know, I'm all good with it. I've had a lot of fun. I've, I've, I've enjoyed my career. I mean, obviously looking back, that's the one, you know, outside winning a major playing the Ryder cup was, is the one thing that, you know, every golfer that plays professional one wants to do. So yeah, it's uh yeah. Does your family ever get to travel with you to some of these events? Yeah, they, they, they make it out. They used to travel nearly all events before my kids were school age. Now they're in school. It's a little tougher, but yeah, they've come to, they come to a couple, uh, they, they came to San Diego a few weeks ago, going to come to the players. And then in the summer they'll, we'll try and get them out two or three in the summer when they're off school. But yeah, you know, they're getting aged two. They got sports teams and commitments back here. It's not as easy now to just take off for a few weeks or take off for a few days to tournaments. So we um, like, you got like the the BMW at Castle Pines coming up. They want that would be that would be an easy one for them to make. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean that obviously that that would be incredible if we could could get there this year. Uh, you know, it's awesome that there's a tournament back in Colorado, and and I know they'll do a great job down there at Castle Pines. So uh, yeah, that's uh, you know that would be a that would be a nice one to be able to stay at home and play in. Your father in law is a professional golfer as well. <clears throat> With that pedigree, are your kids into the game? Yeah, they, they both love it. I got a boy and a girl and they both, they both love it. They, we never really pushed it. Just, I think from such a young age, cause they traveled and watched me all the time. They just naturally wanted to play. And yeah, they, they've both got the golf bug. I mean, right now, obviously they're, they're not playing, they're playing all other sports, but when summer comes around, I mean, they play, they play a lot. They, they love it and want to go and practice. Or if I'm going to go and practice just for a couple hours, you know, my boy might want to come and come with me and, do a little practice too and and uh yeah it's fun i mean that's that's what it's all about now you know it's it's a lot of fun to go out there and play with them and and uh you know see see them love it and, and get on with it how old are they uh my boy turns 10 a couple of weeks my little girl's seven that's awesome good ages yeah, yeah. good ages well I, i'm curious um when you go into a tournament do you have one goal to to win it or bust or do you have tiered goals like hey i want to at least finish in the top 20 or I want to know, I know I want to make the cut or I need to make X amount of dollars. How do you go into each tournament and lay out your, your goals? I mean, obviously you go in the goals to get to the weekend and then, you know, try and try and have a good finish. But, you know, I go into tournaments, I, you know, depending on what the course is, you kind of know what scoring is going to be like and, and what, how you got to play. But you know, I don't go in thinking like win or bust or I got to have a top 10. I mean, obviously those are, those are the end goals if you're playing well, but you know, golf tournaments are kind of marathons, you know, four rounds is, is a lot of golf and, you know, even one or two good rounds to start, you know, you hear people all the time when they're in the lead after two rounds, it's like, Oh, this guy's going to win. I'm like, man, they're only halfway. This is, there's a lot of things going to happen between now and the end. So you got to be really patient and, and, and just kind of, I know it's really boring and, and people talk about time, but just, you know, really kind of stay in your small, small goals, small focuses and, you know, uh, not get ahead of yourself thinking about finishes or where you are and, and, uh, you know, just try and hit the best shot you can every time, every shot and, and see where you end up on Sunday. And, and, uh, like I said, it's, it's, that's not what people want to hear and boring, but, you know, even though some of the guys that look flash and on TV and are, are 
the top players, I guarantee that's all they're thinking about. They're not getting ahead of themselves. They're just thinking about every single shot, the next shot, all that matters is the next shot. And, and you know, kind of when you can get in that zone, that's when the good weeks happen. I mean, you know, you fall, everyone falls, even me after playing, you know, professional go for 20 years, I still fall in that, you know, the habit sometimes of worrying too much about score or looking at the leaderboard or, oh, I got to get going here. And it's like, man, you got to kind of check yourself and be like, no, ignore that. Like, all you can do is hit a good shot here. So, you know, it's, that's kind of my focus every week. And, and, uh, you know, the weeks that turn out well, it's, those are the ones where you can't do that, do that the best. Do you, I mean, we, we look at you guys and, and watch TV and think, man, what a, what a great life this is. I mean, it, is golf still a fun kids game for you or, you know, we're not thinking about the amount of hours that you're putting in everyday practicing, but is it, is it still fun to you or does it feel like a profession and a, and a grind week to week? Uh, both. I mean, there's, there's times where it definitely feels definitely like a job and, and a grind and, uh, you know, maybe your body's a little beat up and you're trying to kind of get through or whatever, or you've been on the road for a few weeks, but you know, it's still a lot of fun. It's the competitions, what's, you know, addictive, the, the being out there and, and, and the, you know, adrenaline you get from, from being in tournaments and, and just, just the pure competition. You know, I, I don't, I don't ever, I don't, I'm never at a tournament. I'm not having fun when it's, when it's game time, but you know, what's hard sometimes the longer you are at it is, is, is the practice and putting in the work and that the travel, you know, the travel so wears you down just, you know, constantly different city every week, you know, on the road, you know, away from home more than half the year kind of thing. It's, it's, that's what, that's what after all these years is, is a little exhausting, but when it comes to Thursday through Sunday, I mean, it's still, it's still a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, that's why, why I'm still there is because, you know, that competitive fire is still, still in there. And, you know, now I'm one of the old guys on tour. So it's kind of different. Now. I look at all these, everyone I play with, I mean, last week, everyone I play with, they're like 24 years old. It's, uh, it's, it's this change. I mean, my first few years on tour, that was not the case. You know, most of the tour were in their thirties, mid thirties. Now it's most of the tours in their mid twenties. It's, uh, which is awesome for the game. It's great, but it's, it's kind of a fun challenge for me to, take on these, uh, these young guys that hit it about 50 yards past me and still see if I can beat them. So <clears throat> coming from Scotland, how, or why did you choose CSU? Uh, you know, good recruiting. I, I really liked the coach. Uh, you know, all, 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 all I did was, was phone calls. Um, I didn't come on a visit or anything. I, you know, just chatted on the phone a bunch, uh, with a few of the coaches places I was looking at and, and, Burmel, who was a coach back then, uh, Jamie Burmel, he, you know, I just really liked him. We, we seemed to get along well and liked what he had to say. And, you know, I was 17, had never been to the U.S. I didn't want to go to a big city. So Fort Collins seemed like the perfect place, perfect size town. Um, also coming from Scotland, I didn't want to go somewhere too hot. So uh, I, uh, it kind of all just seemed to fit. And, and like I said, I really liked the coach and, and kind of just made the decision, I guess. As I said, I came blind and you know if i don't love it i can can always change change my mind and and uh never once i got there never thought about that just just loved every minute being for collins and you know had great teammates and a, a great coach and uh you know we, we had a lot of fun on that golf team for four years uh, we had a good team and it was awesome and uh yeah never left so i was kind of it graduated and stayed and, and never went home well you said it you were 17 how was that adjustment i mean that's pretty far away from home and how was that adjustment golf wise and just from being so far from from your home yeah golf wise is big adjustment um 
I used to hit the ball really, really low. And my short game was terrible because I'd never seen rough or grass this, this lush and thick. But uh, yeah, and then I, I, I had to adapt quickly to that, hit the ball a lot higher and, and make some changes. But, you know, I was always someone that, that, you know, I traveled a decent amount as a kid with golf tournaments for national team and stuff. So, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously I missed home and miss, miss my friends and, and all that family and, and things like that. But I, I really never felt that homesick, to be honest. I just liked it so much that the college, the whole college setting and, and especially being a, a student athlete was just, was just so awesome. The facilities, I'd never seen practice facilities or golf courses like that. You know, I felt spoiled. So it was pretty easy to, to, to fit in right away. And like I said, had some great teammates and, and that helps, you know, if I'd come over and, and it was an individual sport or something like, or, you know, not on a team and, and had to, that would have been different, but to come over and, you know, have a group of 10 guys that were on a team and all friends was, was awesome. What were your facilities and what was the home course back then? I know now we, they've got we played, uh, four, we played Fort Collins country club a lot. That was pretty much our main place. Uh, Ptarmigan, we go to Collindale. The coach always liked taking us to Collindale to qualify because it was nice and narrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, not our facilities compared to what they have now were, were not nearly anything right. like they have now. I tell the guys when I speak to them now, I'm like, you guys don't realize how good you got it. Like, you will never have facilities like this the rest of your life. Even if you turn pro and make it on the PGA Tour, your facilities will never be this good. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's incredible now that we're, you know, what CSU has, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, I've been up there a few times to go and see the team. I'll go up early and practice and use the facilities. And, yeah, it's, it's a great spot now there, especially with the TPC they can play now. Mm-hmm. And they got a whole selection of courses. It's, it's great. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, the – Harmony Club's got a great indoor, outdoor, outdoor practice facility just for CSU. It is awesome. And I'm glad to hear that you're still uh, involved a little bit with the program too, Martin. So that that's great to hear. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's fun to try and try and get back a little bit to the guys. If, if they've got any questions, some of them will text me and I can't always answer them or help them, but sometimes I can maybe give them a little bit of advice. Very cool. Well, I know um, you won the Mountain West individual title once. Your team made it to the the regionals every year that you guys were there. I think um, it was a streak of at that time. I think it was eight 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 game or eight years in a row. Uh, what do you remember about uh, those experiences on the course there as a student athlete? Yeah, um, obviously when you make it as a team, it was cool. It was always always a lot of fun. We we won quite a few tournaments as a team as my as my years there, and those are always the most fun wins. Um, I remember one tournament in Fresno, we went just nuts in the final round and had like a record low score and ended up blowing everyone away. And that was, that was kind of one that stands out because it was just one of those days where all five guys just played incredible and we just blew everyone away. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of when it all comes together and everyone's played well, you know, everyone's really happy and just like in any team sport, it kind of just clicks and, and it's fun. But so, yeah, that's obviously, that was fun. And, and that's what I miss now. Like, you know, as soon as you turn pro, there's no more team golf. It's it's just all about yourself. So, you know, that's the other thing in college that one of the guys I actually played with last week has just turned pro this past year. Uh, he went to Illinois and he, he he's from Belgium. He, he was talking about that too. He's like, you know, I just love college golf. It's team golf. Like we don't play team golf. It's, this is, this is so fun. And I kind of had the same experience and, and then winning, you know, that the, the win you mentioned my mind West conference win as a, as a sophomore, that was probably kind of what propelled me to, Kind of get a little more confidence and 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 kind of improve my game. I hadn't played really that great up until then in college, and then I won that tournament as a sophomore and, and 
went home that summer after that and played really well all summer and then came back and played, you know, my best golf my junior and senior year. So, you know, that kind of was the one win in college that, that really gave me the belief that I could go out and, and win tournaments against some of the be better players and, and maybe had what it took to have this game as a job. So uh, that, that was definitely an important win for me in my, in my development as a golfer. Well, you mentioned team golf. Uh, there is some team golf and professional golf yeah. right now at, at live. So I'm um, just curious to get your thoughts on how, how that has changed the golf scene, the professional golf scene and thoughts on some of the migration of, of the top, some top guys uh, for the PGA to live and, and what do you anticipate for the future of professional golf between those two? Yeah. I mean, like you said, the conversation I was having with that one guy last week that he was, he said that he goes, you know, that's the one thing about live that is maybe kind of cool as a player. I don't know what the fans think of the team golf, but as a player being on a team again is, you know, maybe one thing that maybe could be kind of cool to do. I'm not saying it would have to be every week, but, but, because that's one thing I do actually love about golf too is the individual side of it. Because when you play bad, you can't blame anyone else. And when you play good, you can, you know, feel good about yourself. There's no hiding behind teammates or, you know, any of that stuff. So you kind of, how you play is, is how you're playing. There's, there's no hiding in that. And I'm not saying that, that it, whereas in team golf, you know, one guy can play not great and they could still win. But um, yeah, that's like I was saying, that's maybe the only thing I think would be fun maybe for a few weeks as, as live, but you know, apart from that, I love playing the PJ Tour. I love the, the challenge of having to make a cut and keep going for four rounds to get a good win or, or a good finish. And, yeah, golf's changed a lot. I mean, as you say, there's a lot of guys that left. And, you know, the media made a bigger deal about – I mean, I'll be honest. Like, no one, not, none of the players on tour I've really ever heard complaining about guys leaving. Like, if guys want to leave, they can leave. Like, we, we really – it doesn't really bother us. I mean, it's not saying we want them to leave, but if they make that choice, it's fine. Like – we're still going to have a tournament next week. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of the media made a bigger deal. I think about how players on the PGA tour were, wouldn't talk to these guys or, you know, have an issue with them. That, that, that wasn't really probably as true as everyone thinks, but yeah, golf's changed a lot and who knows where it's going to be. You know, we've just had a new investment um, to the PGA tour that was announced last week, which, which is good news in terms of gives us some stability here for a while. And, but yeah, it's definitely interesting times. Uh, probably glad I'm kind of at the towards the end of my career as opposed to the start because you know, my first 10, 15 years on tour, there was none of this. It was just, it was simple. Turn up and go and play some golf and see how you did. Whereas now, obviously it's, uh, it's a little messier, but I think it'll be just fine. Like I said, someone asked me last week and I was like, there's more great 20 to 24 or five-year-old players right now than I think ever. The strength of golf, the depth in golf is deeper than it's ever been. Golf's going to be just fine. I mean, once all this kind of eventually ends up in whatever resolution there's going to be with golf, it's the talent out there right now is off the charts. So it's it's a good spot. It's uh, it's going to be fun the next while to, to see all these young guys come through. Well, last question for me, and I'll let Mike wrap it up with his last couple, but um, I, I know that you learned to play golf left-handed. I'm wondering if you ever uh, do like a gag bet and challenge guys, hey, longest drive here, and then – how about if I do it from the left side and see if you can? <laughs> you know, I did. When I was real young, all the photos of me when I was really young, I'm standing at a golf club left-handed. But now I am the worst left-handed golfer ever. I mean, a lot of guys can hit it pretty good left-handed. I mean, I can't even make contact. I am terrible. So, no, there's no bets for me from that. I, uh, 
So not not even if you're up against a tree and you have to go. I mean, yeah, I can flip a head, flip it over and chip it out sideways, but I can't. I'm not making any full swings. I'll hurt myself and, and probably miss the ball. I mean, honestly, I'm terrible. Some guys are unbelievable. There's some guys can turn around and hit it almost as far left hand as they can right hand. It is wow. It's impressive, but uh, that is definitely not me. All right. So most important question of the day: Celtic or Rangers? Or do you go with your cousin's club, the Queens Park? <laughs> You know, this is probably the most popular question I get on tour is people will shout, hey, Martin, Celtic or Rangers? <laughs> and I always just reply, Partick Thistle, which is a small t club in Glasgow. But I wasn't really a fan of them. I just say that to just because, you know, I, I really wasn't either growing up. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had a friend that had season tickets for Rangers. I'd go to some games occasionally, but I actually played rugby growing up. That was more my sport than, than I used to watch what we call football, soccer, uh, a ton and you know love i love watching it now it's probably my favorite sport to watch but i really wasn't like a, a huge huge soccer fan as a kid i like i said i was more into rugby that was my main sport until i was like 12 13 years old so um yeah but i get that question all the time <laughs> right so I'm, i i go to the uk kind of regularly gonna visit scotland next year a year from now last question what's the true local whiskey that i should enjoy when i'm over there Man, I'm going to disappoint you. You're asking the wrong person. I, I can't stand whiskey. <laughs> oh, it's, I know I'm not doing a very good job here as being a Scottish guy, but I, I've tried it. I try. I try to force myself to like it just because I'm Scottish, and I just can't. I can't get there. <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> well, Martin, thanks. there's plenty of locals who'll give you the answer, though. Trust me. <laughs> if you can understand what they say. Oh <laughs> uh, well this was good man really enjoyed this loved catching up with you and, and getting to know you a little bit more so uh, uh what do you have next on your on your schedule here i uh i'm going to florida here uh i got two weeks no no tournaments and then i go to florida for uh, uh west palm for it's now called the cognizant uh, championship i believe uh used to always be the honda for years um play that and then I'll go to Puerto Rico and then play the players championship. So we got our, our nice big tournament there the third week, three in a row out that way and uh, looking forward to that stretch. So yeah, just uh, get some practice in here. Um, what I can here uh, the next couple of weeks and uh, head off to Florida. Well, good luck to you, man. We'll be cheering you on. Appreciate it. Thanks guys. Thanks Mark. Thank you. Didn't dig out, finally got a call from a girl I wanna dig out.